What's up, guys? Welcome to the Amazing Clocks Podcast. We are the Amazing Clocks award-winning certified life and love coach and a husband and wife coaching duo. My name is Anthony Clark. And I'm Melanie Clark. And once again, welcome to our podcast. So on today's podcast, what we're basically going to be doing is kind of giving you guys a history of who we are and why we're doing the work that we're doing. And we're just going to have fun, be ourselves, and feel good. And one of the big things about this show that's a disclaimer of ours is that if you're going to listen to this show, that means that you are giving us permission to be 110% completely honest with you. It's always going to be from a place of love and good intentions, but we are here to be real, real talk, um, and not beat around the bush. So if you continue to listen, that's the agreement. Anthony just gives that disclaimer because he's big energy and he's going to say stuff that gets people mm-hmm. excited. So you're just letting them know ahead of time, huh, babe? Won't he say it? Won't he say it? <laughs> yes, yes he, will. he will. Yes, he will. I think we just start out introduce by... Introduce yourself, baby. Get this beautiful woman next to me. I introduce you. Tell them a little about you. Oh, no problem. I would love to do that. So I'm Melanie Clark. Um, I'm this guy's wife. Anthony and I have been together for almost 30 years. I think like 29 and a half at this point, right? 29 and a half, yeah. Yeah, so almost 30 years. I'm a wife and a mother and a life coach and a consultant and just an amazing part of the Amazing Clarks brand. Yes, yes. And by the way, guys, they call us the Amazing Clarks because we empower people to live amazing lives. Melanie and I, not only have we been together as a couple for almost 30 years, but we've been coaching together as a team for almost 22 years now. And we have our own life coaching practice. We coach couples, we coach singles, we coach people that want to get more connected to their spirit. Literally, we coach in every single area of life. And over the last 22 years, that's exactly what we've done. So for me, this podcast is an exciting blessing because it gives us a platform to teach what we teach our clients. Now we can teach it to the world on a larger scale. So that's, that's what's really exciting to me about this. But from your perspective, yeah. what's exciting you about doing this podcast? I'm really excited because in life coaching, we get the opportunity to teach people about themselves, mm-hmm. about their energy, mm-hmm. about their thoughts and how to manage all of that so that they can live their best life, whether it's in a relationship or in their work life. And I'm just excited to share that with people. I find it fascinating that people know more about cars or planning a vacation than they do about their own minds and their own energy. And I just really love the work that we do, empowering people to get more of what they want out of life. Like that just thrills me to my core. Mm -hmm. So being able to do that on a bigger scale is super exciting to me. I agree. We're like unicorns. Because first of all, (laughs) let me say that everybody dreams about meeting their perfect partner, building their dream relationship and staying madly and passionately in love for the rest of their lives. But the truth is that very few couples actually accomplish that. And we've done studies over the years. And we have this question that we ask people all the time. Out of all the couples that you've met in your lifetime, how many couples have had an amazing relationship, a relationship that was so good that you looked at that relationship and said, I want that one day. On average, the average person has only met two couples in their entire lifetime that have had those kind of relationships. So what does that mean? That means that the majority of the couples that most people come across 
are either unsatisfied in their relationship, mm -hmm. they're not in a relationship, right. or they have a mediocre relationship. Right. Very, very few, less than 5% actually are able to build a relationship that gets better and better over time. To build a relationship where couples can remain passionately in love for their entire life. Most right. couples only remain in love for a couple of years. So we've been blessed to do something that most couples don't know how to do, but they want to learn. Mm -hmm. And so this platform is going to give us the opportunity to teach couples exactly how did we do it. We didn't get lucky. It wasn't an accident. It was done intentionally. And that's what this podcast is going to be about. It's going to be about us sharing what works and how to get there. You know, I think one of the reasons that question is so important is as human beings, we model the behavior that we're exposed to. And so if people don't see couples in happy, satisfying relationships, then they don't believe that that exists. And if they don't believe that that exists, then they will not attract that. They will not experience that in their lives. And we've seen probably in the last two decades, a lot of single people cannot find partners. And in our coaching, what we realize is they did not grow up with those role models. They did not grow up with those examples. So part of them does not even believe that it exists. They've just been exposed to relationships that were not happy and had a lot of issues. And, you know, our brains are created for survival. So if that's what you grow up watching and seeing, you're going to end up saying, I don't want that. I'm going to stay away from that. Why would I move towards that? Exactly. And that's happening to people on a subconscious level. They don't even know that they're sabotaging themselves in relationship as single people, but also in their committed relationships, they're also sabotaging because mm -hmm. they don't have the roadmap to marital bliss. That's right. So guess what, guys? You're in luck because guess what we're going <laughs> to give you? We are going to give you that roadmap. Not only are we going to give you this roadmap, but we're going to give it to you real. We're, we're going to be vulnerable. We're not here to be politically correct and be like, oh, we're perfect. And we're no, we've done it all. We've seen it all. We've screwed up. We've made mistakes. We've played ourselves. That's part <laughs> of it. But we've also done some great things because of that. And hopefully you guys don't have to go through the same mistakes that we went through. Nobody was there to teach us this stuff. If we would have known this, it could have been made a huge difference. But we didn't have anyone and you do. So that's another reason I'm so excited about doing the show. One of the other things about our coaching practice that I'm really proud of mm. is our success rate. Not only do we work with couples and all couples, singles, people that want, you know, to attract more happiness in life, no matter what the issue is, not only do we cover all the areas, but we have an incredible client success rate. Mm -hmm. Our success rate is 90 to 95%, which is unheard of in this industry. And I'm excited that we have, I'm blessed that we have that, but it's not really to me about us. It's I'm excited because... It enables us to get the transformation that we want for other people when yeah. they come to it. So, you know what? Let's tell the people a little bit about your past. Who is Melanie Clark? And then I'll tell a bit about me. <laughs> okay. What's your story? You know, I think one of the reasons that our love is so great is because of how we met each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we met when we were in our 20s, right? I was 25 and you were 24. 
And I had been married. I had already been married for, well, I'd been with my first husband for 10 years. I met him when I was 14 years old and I married him when I was 18. I had my first baby when I was, I got pregnant when I was 16. I had her when I was 17. And, you know, I was trying to create this traditional life for myself. I was trying to create happiness, like what I had seen on TV, because my personal life and my upbringing was nothing like that. I grew up in foster care. I'm biracial. So my mom's white and my dad was black. Both my parents are deceased now, rest their souls. And in the 60s, I was born in 1966. And in the 60s, it was not okay for black man to be with a white woman. This was not okay. And they lived in a small town. So they they were harassed a lot by the police and by people in the town. It's like like in the movies, right? Like they'd come to their house at night and, you know, why are you together? So my mom. This, This was in Fresno. This was in Fresno. Yes. So my mom was arrested in her ninth month of pregnancy. And so she delivered me while she was in the Fresno County Jail. I'm a jail baby. Because she was in jail, they took me straight to foster care. And they wouldn't let my mom's family take me because they said I was a black baby and black babies belong with black families. So they put me in foster care. I'll have to go into that whole story one day because it's just fascinating how it happened. Yeah. So well, they've got a lot of episodes. Yes. So <laughs> they they put me in foster care and I ended up being and, and my mom got in some other trouble, too. So I don't want to paint the picture like she is this saint and, you know, she was doing some stuff. And so I ended up being in foster care till I was five years old and she and my dad would come and visit me. I mean, I can remember their visits like they would come in this huge pink Cadillac. And my mom had this bleach blonde hair. And my dad was this, you know, like tall, beautiful black man. And they were just so striking and they would come and visit. But I didn't I didn't really know them. After I was five, the courts gave me back to my mom, but they had separated and my dad had become a Muslim and moved to the Bay Area. So I didn't really have a relationship with him. He would visit me, you know, every few months, but I didn't really have a relationship with him. And then my mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. So there was just a lot of trauma, a lot of weird people around, Mm -hmm. a lot of chaos. And so I ended up going in and out of foster care. And I had just decided when I was a kid, when I grow up, I want a normal life. So all I wanted was to get married, have babies, buy a house. And I thought that I'd be happy and fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And I accomplished that. I bought my first house when I was 21 years old. I worked my butt off. I went to school. I cleaned houses while I was putting myself through school. I had a baby and I just I was willing to work, put in the works. I worked hard. I saved money. My first husband didn't want to buy a house. I talked Mm -hmm. him into it and I just created this life for myself. But I after I accomplished all those goals, I would cry in the shower at night. I didn't understand, like, why am I still not happy? Mm -hmm. I had two, you know, beautiful, happy children. I had a nice big house, two cars in the garage, like all the stuff. And I thought the stuff was going to do it and it didn't do it. So I decided that it was my marriage. It was the relationship making me unhappy. So I got divorced. Mm -hmm. 
in that time of being single, I went to therapy. I started learning about myself. I started reading self-help books. I learned about my brain and my mind. I learned about my spirit. I learned about energy. I was literally trying to heal myself and heal traumas. I didn't know I had traumas, Mm -hmm. but I was trying to figure out how to heal myself. And in that process, I became really passionate about personal growth and self-help. And then I met you. Mm. Before I jump in on my part, let me say that. Yes. Every time you tell that story and Mm -hmm. you talk about being a little girl and born in Fresno County Jail. And I've seen pictures of you when you were a little girl. And mm-hmm. You were adorable. Aww. You actually like, look like our little daughter. Thank our, you. Our, our daughter together. You're not going to make me 20. cry, are you? Mm, that's on you, boo. Okay. Cry if you want. Okay. I, I love your tears. Mm-hmm. Um, and it touches me every time I think about that. From mm-hmm. starting in Fresno County Jail to how far you've come against all odds. So that story always just like, ah. That's one of the reasons I think... It contributes to me loving you so much because I always see that little girl inside you, which yeah. just uh, brings out that male part of me, that protector that it just gets to me, mm. makes me feel soft and gooey inside. Mm-hmm. See, you did make me cry. I knew yeah. it okay. every single time. So I'll jump to my story now. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and I was raised by a single mother with my five siblings. There were really no adults around besides my grandmother and grandfather. So pretty much single mother raising five kids in Brooklyn. She had five kids by the time she was like 25 years old. As a little kid growing up, I was always connected to spirit. I was always empathetic, a lot of intuition, um, very caring and loving kid. But as I got older, growing up in Brooklyn, it was like, there's no way I'm gonna survive on the streets of Brooklyn being Mr. Loving, spiritual, nice guy. Sorry, don't work like that. So I consciously had to start becoming more hard-edged. But during that process, I also started looking at all the couples around me in relationships. Mm -hmm. And there was so much chaos. Everybody was so unhappy. Everybody was always fighting and drama. And it really bothered me. It hurt. It broke my heart. Because for me, once once again, like, like I said, I was really connected as a kid spiritually. To me, it was like, come on, people. It's so easy. All you got to do is just love each other and get over your egos and just come on, let's get it together. And it hurt me so much that at seven, eight years old, I would literally sit around fantasizing about, because I made a commitment. I told myself that one day I'm going to figure out the solution to this. One day I'm going to help couples. I'm going to help people live happier lives. I'm going to attract my soulmate one day. And we're going to have this incredible love affair like the world's never seen before. Then we're going to turn around together and teach the world how to love like that. Right. I was obsessed with this vision and this was my path, my destiny. And I knew it at seven, eight years old. And I would literally sit around all day listening to love songs under the cover, fantasizing about this woman. Mm-hmm. And so make a long story short, which is probably too late. <laughs> it's okay. We want to hear it yeah. all. I was also an athlete. Um, I didn't think I'd survive to live to be 18 years old in in Brooklyn, but I survived. And I had an opportunity to come to California to play sports in college, play basketball, which I believe to this day saved my life. Mm -hmm. And it was something I never expected to happen. I thought I'd end up dead on prison like most of the other people in my life. Mm -hmm. So when I was in college, I immediately got into a relationship with my college girlfriend. And 
we moved in together right away. And then immediately I knew, like, I would notice right away when we were dating that she was like really bitchy to other people, just <laughs> really mean and just very, uh. but to me, I was like, you know what? She's not like that with me. So I'm good. But eventually, of course, she started to become like that with me. Mm -hmm. So the relationship got worse and worse. And we were fighting like cats and dogs. Shouldn't be together. Breaking up, making up, breaking up, making up. Then, you know, while we were, while we were breaking up, we were having X sex. Mm -hmm. And one day she comes back and says, I'm pregnant. And not only am I pregnant, but I'm pregnant with twin boys. And they're yours. And I was real with her. I was like, you know what? When we weren't together, I was doing my thing. Were you doing your thing? Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, no, they're yours. They're yours. And at the time, I had an opportunity to play pro basketball in Peru and pro baseball with the Brewers, double-A baseball. Mm -hmm. And when she got pregnant, and even though we didn't get along, and I knew she wasn't the one for me, and I could still feel the one for me was out there. I felt like, you know what, society expects me to marry her anyway, because this is the right thing to do. My father wasn't there for me. I promised myself that I would never be that kind of father. So even though me and her weren't compatible, it was like, I got to step up and do, take responsibility. So we got married. And I told my agent, you know, forget the, the camp. I can't report to the camp right now. I'll check back in. So the twins were born, Anthony and Andrew, loved them to death, named them after me, Anthony and Andrew Clark. So... After about three years, it, the fighting just got worse with me and her. We couldn't be around each other more than five minutes without getting into it. I, I didn't want to live my life like that. So mm -hmm. I left the relationship and I took custody of the boys, half, half custody. So I went to, we went to court and eventually I found out that the twins weren't mine. I was not the biological father mm. of the twins. And that devastated me and I hit rock bottom. Here I am in my early 20s. Not only did I lose my athletic careers, not only my done, lost my college career, but I lost my family. I'm mm -hmm. divorced. I lost my twin boys who were the love of my life. I hit rock bottom and even felt suicidal at points. But even though that happened, mm -hmm. in the back of my mind, spirit, my spirit was like, you know what? This is actually a second opportunity for you. Yes, this is, you could look at it like a curse, but it's actually a blessing because it gives you another opportunity to, do, to live your life and to not give up your dreams and to not make those same mistakes and go for something bigger and greater. And plus that woman out there, their soulmate, she is still out there. And I could literally feel it. I could feel it. But I also knew I had to be the best me possible. Mm -hmm. So I started doing my research on psychology, therapy, um, how to meet date women, studied relationships. Mm -hmm. I studied, I, I just obsessed. That movie Hitch that all of you guys have heard before. I, to this day, I'm convinced that someone stole my, <laughs> found my letters and read each one out loud. Uh, I was like the original hitch. They called me the game doctor. They called him the date doctor. So after I stepped up my game and got, you know, just unstoppable with the opposite sex, other men start coming to me for coaching advice. So I started coaching other guys. And that's what kind of led me into coaching. And so one day, and I had, because I couldn't find one woman that had all the qualities that I wanted. I would date a bunch of women. One was a smart, but she was not a good cook. One was a good cook, but she had no sense of humor. One had a sense of humor, but she was dumb as rocks. And it was like on and on and on. So, and I was honest with all of them. Like, okay, I'm just right now, I'm trying to just, I'm just re rebounding. I'm not ready for anything yet. I'm not trying to get to a relationship. I just want to date. You can date other people. I'm doing my thing. You can do your thing. So I was gathering information. Yeah, I remember that spiel. Yeah, you right. gave it to me too. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> 
Yes, I did. Yeah, you did. And you you responded better than anybody else. I got to admit that. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I made the cut. You made the cut. Yes, you did. And so one night I finally had a night off from work because I was working three jobs. I was like, hey, man, working three jobs, man. <laughs> yeah. And right. so I was just, my, my plan was literally just to stay home by myself. I didn't want to date because I was always dating. I was like, I don't want a, a booty call today. I'm just going to stay home, cook dinner, watch TV, masturbate, and date myself. <laughs> and so. Self-love. Right. So then. As I was sitting down and getting my dinner ready and everything prepared, I'm glad you setting said setting the scene, <laughs> lit lightning candles. I was uh, like, "Where is he going with this?" <laughs> my spirit said, "Go out, go out." Yep. And I've tried to ignore my spirit at first, mm-hmm. and they kept going, "Go out, go out, go out, go to this one club, go to this one club." Finally, I was like, "Ah, I just want to stay home, but fine, I'll go to this one club, spirit, and just to shut you up, I don't know why you're sending me to this club, and then I'll come back." Fine. I got dressed, went to the first club, got to the club and the bouncer there who I knew said, yes, it was dead. And he was like, yeah, but this bad chick named Melanie came in. You Ooh. just missed her. I'm thinking, what? Who? <laughs> the hell are you tell me about some chick named Melanie? What? Whatever. I'm out of here. And so I was on my way home, still tripping out on my spirit. Like, why did you send me here, spirit? And I was almost home and there was one more club. And my spirit said, go to that club. And I was like, I just went to the club. He was like, just go there and you can go home and date yourself. Okay, fine. So I walked in and when I walked in, I saw you. Yep. And, and you, I saw you too. Yeah. You were at the, across the room. And I remember that there was a bunch of old guys around you. I like old yeah. guys. And I had seen you before, as, as you, of course. Mm-hmm. And I was really attracted to you because you were, of course, you were hot. You're hot now, but Aww, you were hot then. You, honey. And all the other women in the club were trying to play cute. Like, oh, they saw me, they would flirt with me, but they were expecting me to approach them. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't going to approach them. Mm-hmm. Then you started coming towards me and I knew you were coming up to approach me. And so mm-hmm. as you were walking through the crowd, guys were trying to grab you and you were <laughs> shaking them and look like the Heisman Trophy running through the crowd and dodging <laughs> them and diving and just uh, 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 shaking them. And so when you came up to me and you said, hey, how you doing? I said, hey, what's up? You were like, hey, so did you ever call my sister? Well, you could tell that vibe. <laughs> you do my voice better than me. Yes. So let me backtrack. I was out that night. Let me say why I was out. I was out that night because I was dating someone and I got stood up and I did not want to sit at home so he could call me later and be like, can I come over? I was like, you are not booty calling me. Mm-mm, I'm going out. So I decided to go listen to music and I was at that first club because there was a band that played there and I wanted to go listen to music, Mm -hmm. but they weren't there that night. So that bouncer that told you told me to go to the second club because that's where they were playing. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, I sat at the bar and all the old guys started chatting me up and buying me drinks. And I was like, life is good right now. Like I'm getting free drinks. I'm looking cute. I'm hearing my music. They were painting you. Yes. So I was having a good time. And Mm -hmm. when I saw you walk in, I thought, oh my God, that's that guy. I saw him at that other club and he would not give me the time of day. But then I saw you talking to my sister and I was like, so maybe he likes my sister. So when I went up to you, I was like, hey, and you were like, hey, and I was like, so did you ever call my sister? And you were like, who's your sister? (laughs) 
<laughs> and I told you her name. I'm not going to uh, say her name because I said it on Black Love and it was not good. So I'm not going to say her name. And I told you her name and you said, she's not my type. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what's your type? Uh, and you said, you, you're my type. And I was stunned because remember, I had been with someone from 14 to 24. I had no dating experience. I was just out being real and authentic. And when I would date guys, they would say stuff like, you're like a guy, you're really straightforward and you say what you think. And I'd just be like, whatever, I don't care what you think. And so that night when you said, you know, you're my type. Wait, hold on. I said, you're my type. You're my type. You're my type. Yeah, that's what you said. Adrian. Stop it. <laughs> what, every time you do my voice. Uh, Actually, Anthony, I'll be funny. honest with you. Your voice was like that back then. It yeah. has calmed Actually, down it, 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 it over the last 30 it years. Was. When yeah. I first met you, I couldn't understand a damn thing you were yeah, saying. I just true. said yes to everything. That's your true. accent, your New York accent was really heavy and you had a really deep voice. And so uh -huh. it has changed. So that voice I'm doing is your 25-year-old uh -huh. voice. Actually, that's why I laugh at it too. Because you're right. <laughs> you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. When I first got to California... My voice was so deep and my accent was so deep that mm -hmm. nobody could understand me. Yep. And I would have to repeat myself every time, like four or five times. I'd be like, hey, hey. And people are like, what? And I, hey, hey, what? What? Finally, yeah. I got so tired of repeating myself that I literally for a year, I stopped talking to people. So over that course of that year, I kept practicing diluting my accent. So that people could understand me. Well, babe, your mm -hmm. accent was not diluted that night. No. And that's why. <laughs> it was concentrated. That's why. <laughs> uh, when I do, when I reenact that scene, I do that voice because I'm keeping it real. Okay. So let's just go well, with that. You're good at it. So anyway. If you can't be good, be good at it. When you asked me about the drink, I got shocked. I didn't know what to say. Now, remember, this was in the 90s. So this mm. was before like cell phones and Apple Pay and mm. even ATM cards being yeah. used to pay for stuff. So I didn't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> I was a beautiful woman out in a bar. Mm -hmm. In the 90s, beautiful women did not need money in the bar because True. the old guys will buy you drinks. True. Right. So Very that's true. what was happening. Yeah. So I didn't know what to say. And I got shocked. And so my response was in my head. It was like, what would a guy say? Oh, can I buy you a drink? Mm -hmm. So I asked to buy you that drink and you said yes. And I didn't have any money. So I'm like digging in my purse and like counting my ones and my chain. I remember what you ordered too, babe. You ordered a Long Island iced tea mm -hmm. and that has a lot of alcohol in it. So it was mm -hmm. not cheap. So I got up to the bar and I knew the bartender. And so I was like, uh, he wants a Long Island iced tea and I only have $4 or whatever I had. And he was like, no big deal, Melanie. I got you. I got you. And I got you your drink. And then after that, you bought me drinks. Right. But that was one of the big things too, that impressed me that you offered to buy me a drink. Ooh. And Good thing I was like a guy. Right. Because for me, <laughs> I knew what I wanted in a woman. The woman for me, the woman of my dreams, that woman that I knew that I would meet since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. She was a go-getter or she is a go-getter. Yeah. And she has confidence and she's not going to play coy. And so when you came up to me and offered to buy me a drink, that impressed me. Mm -hmm. And after that, of course, I bought you drinks after that. But yeah, you did. That showed me like, okay, she's a go-getter. And then we sat down mm -hmm. and the first conversation that we had mm -hmm. was about spirituality. Yep. And this was almost 30 years ago. This yeah. is actually 30 years ago. Yeah. And back then, nobody was talking about spirituality. Or energy. Yeah, and energy. I remember we had a talk, we had a talk about our personal energy. And I remember thinking like, 
this guy is deep. Mm-hmm. Like I can have this deep conversation with him. Right. And I felt the same way about you. Mm-hmm. And we talked literally for hours all night. I don't even think we danced. No, we didn't. No, we I didn't think we dance. danced like once or twice. Okay. And then we got into this conversation and we never left the table. Right. And while we were talking, I could feel like maybe she's the one. Mm-hmm. This might be it. She might be the one. Oh, yeah. And that so, was impressive. Yes, you are. Yes, you, you are. <laughs> and so the, the night ended. And uh-huh. so from my perspective, because at the time I was going into uh, the Department of Corrections, so they were going to send me out to the desert. Yeah. And I was going to go to training and then mm-hmm. to the academy and then to the desert. So my life was in, in transition. Yeah. So it was like, okay. I feel this amazing chemistry with her that I've never felt before this quickly. She's beautiful. She's deep, intelligent. Now, if we're going to make it, if there's a possibility, we have to have sexual chemistry. Mm -hmm. Because sexual chemistry to me is very, very important. Right. And so it was like, okay, I'm going to offer her the opportunity to go home with me. Mm -hmm. And if she (laughs) says no, that means she's probably not the one for me because my, my soulmate she goes for after what she wants. She doesn't right. have to be politically correct to play games. Right. And if there's chemistry there, sexually, great. Let's move forward. If there's not, then we'll know. Yeah. So I asked you, hey, I'm leaving. You coming home with me? And you paused for a second. <laughs> and you looked at me with that look in your eye like, are you, are you a, a killer? killer? <laughs> are you going to kill me? <laughs> so and, uh, and then I called my friend and told her where I was going. Yeah, yeah. And so my buddy called me and was like, yo, what's he doing? I was like, you gonna kill this girl? Like, nah, <laughs> not this one. No. Nah, this one. I know. Joking. Okay, disclaimer. Anthony got jokes. Yes. He ain't killing nobody. No. I ain't like, I'm, a, I'm a lover, not a not a not a fighter. Yes. So um we went you went home with me that night. Mm-hmm. The sex was amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay. Then you tried to creep out, try to bounce. <laughs> I thought I it was like, a booty call. Nah, it would have been if the chemistry wasn't there. I was like, I know the rules of booty call. You don't stay the night. You get out after right. you're done. Thank you very much, sir. But here was that was the, lovely. But he was the next part. It was like, okay, she passed the sex part, passed the communication part, passed the, all the other stuff. Now she has to pass the cuddle test. Mm, you're so sensitive. If you're she, so cute. If she can't spoon good. Oh, my God. Then I don't know if we're going to make it. Right. And you spooned very well. Oh, thank you, honey. Yes, yes. After that, it was on. Fast forward, here we are 30 years later. Mm-hmm. But one thing I will share, I want to share with you guys real quick. Mm-hmm. Our whale story. Okay. Let's tell that real quick. Okay. Because now keep in mind that, so we met, fast forward, about a year and a half, a year. Mm, yeah, about a year. About a year. Mm-hmm. So here I am getting ready to go to the, I went to the uh, Corrections Academy. So I'm in Sacramento and we're not sure if we're going to be together because you had two kids mm-hmm. and a job and a job in Fresno. Yeah. Here I am getting ready to go out to the desert by Mexico. And we weren't sure if we we're going to be together. So we were looking for a sign. And remember, you were traumatized. So yeah. you weren't being like super committed. Mm-mm. You were like, I got to go for my dreams and, you know, I can't let anything get in my way. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to keep it real. You had some baggage. Of course. So of course. it was, of it course. was, um, we didn't know if we were going to be together. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. We didn't know if we were going to be right. together. We didn't know if that was in the plans. Even yeah. though we loved each other, we mm-hmm. enjoyed each other, but it was like, 
chemistry was yeah. amazing. And like you said, for me, I was traumatized because yeah. after what I went through with the twins and giving up my professional career and getting my heart broken and then being, that was devastating. Yeah. So I promised myself that I would never do that again. Yeah. Yes, I want love. Yes, I want a family, but I have to chase my dream. I've, and life gave me a second opportunity. And to me, it was like, that's a sin. If life gave me a second opportunity like that, mm -hmm. and for me to make the same mistakes, it was like, I can't do that. So, Good for you. Yeah. I'm not mad at it. You know what? In all honesty, I understood that. Mm -hmm. I understood that because in my marriage, I had an opportunity. I got asked to go to Paris to do runway modeling. Right. And I was hit with an ultimatum. If you're a wife and a mother, and that comes first, and you cannot go to Paris and become a model or you lose your family. I think that ultimatum is what eroded my marriage to the degree that I just couldn't be in it anymore. I had so much resentment. Mm -hmm. So because I had experienced that and felt that when you said that to me, I understood it. I didn't always like it, mm -hmm. but I understood it. And I had compassion right. for your situation and, and where you were coming from. So I'm at the Academy. Mm -hmm. I get time off, a weekend off. Your yep. father passes away. Oh, yes. So awful. Um, you know, uh, yes. So you were gone and it was shocking and just got a call in the middle of the night. Your father's in the hospital and um, he's in a coma and we don't think he's going to come out of the coma. I had no idea what had happened. And this goes to goes to show. <laughs> Once again, I had no money, <laughs> <laughs> no money to get to my daddy. And um, I had just this is like, I just love the universe, how the universe works stuff out for you. And especially for me, like, I just, I always have to say this, I'm divinely protected. So I had just paid my rent and I went to my landlord's door and knocked on the door and said, I need my rent money back. My daddy's in the hospital. He's dying. And I need to get to the Bay area. And she gave me my money back mm -hmm. and she drove me to the airport to buy a ticket to get on a plane to go see my dad. I Crazy. thought that was amazing yeah, part cool. of this story. Cool. So I get there. I'm the only one there with my dad. His wife had a nervous breakdown. None of my other siblings could get to him. So I was there and I had to make the decision about his life support. And I was, you know, I was only 26 years old. It was a big decision. And I was just, I felt so alone and so lost and so devastated, so hurt that my father was passing because I had just developed a relationship with him. I had maybe had a relationship with him the last seven years because I didn't get a lot of time with him when I was a little girl. So we developed a relationship in my adult life and here I was losing him. So I was devastated. Then he passed and I had to get on a plane to go back home. And when I was on the plane, this guy sat next to me and he was like, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, uh, no, my dad just died. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me. And he was like, I promise I'll leave you alone. Just, I just want you to answer two questions. And I was like, uh, yeah, what? What are the questions? And he just said, if you could have any material possession other than money, what would it be? And I said, uh, um, easy. I'd want to own my own island. Why? Because I really love to be alone. I love solitude and having a whole island to myself would be amazing. But then by the same token, I love to party. So I can have a party <laughs> on my island and I can invite all my people. So I would want my own island. And he was like, okay, one more question. I'm going to leave you alone. I was like, okay. The second question was, if you could be any animal, what animal would you be? I chose a mammal, not an animal. But I said, I would be an orca whale. 
And I would be an orca whale because they're black and white like me. And they do this thing called whale song where they always connect to their babies with sonar and they always stay connected to their children. And one of the things about me is I'm all mama. Like I have a lot of mama energy. I love being a mother. I love my children. I adore, I mean, I adore my children and they adore me. Yes. So that part of the whale story really stuck with me and they're spiritual and beautiful. And, you know, they rule the ocean. That was my answer. And he said, okay, I won't answer you, ask you any more questions. The plane landed and we got off the plane and it was almost like he disappeared. He was just gone. And I was like, that was weird, but I've got too many other things on my mind to think about that. And I get home and I get a call from you. And you said, I have leave. I have leave from the Academy. Come to Sacramento. And I was like, hell yeah, my heart is broken. I need some loving. I need my man's right now. Mm -hmm. So I got on a train and got to Sacramento and you picked me up at the train station. Anthony, I can still see you that day in the train station. You were wearing black jeans. It looked like a nerd. And you had on white sneakers and, and you never hat. wore sneakers. I had never seen you in sneakers. You always wore boots. So I was like, he looks like a nerd. Yeah. What happened to my yeah, when guy? You go to the academy, they, they nerd you out. They brainwash you. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. You were the so, last thing you think about is fashion. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. You I were was, so different, but then you hugged me. I remember like, soon as you saw me, you just hugged me and you squeezed me and you kissed me on my forehead and you said, it's going to be okay, baby. And I just melted. I was like, oh, I'm going to survive this. So then from there, we went to our hotel. I won't get into all that, but we caught up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> and then the next day we went to lunch in this mall that was uh, this outdoor mall. And we were sitting down eating and catching up. And I said, oh, hey, oh, yeah, I wanted to tell you. This weird guy was on the plane and he asked me these two questions. And once again, keep in mind now, we're wondering, are we going to be together or not? Universe, give us a sign. Yes, give us a sign. So you said, ask me the questions. And I was like, oh, okay. So the first question was, if you could have any material possession other than money, what would you choose? And what'd you say, Anthony? I said, I would choose my own island. Mm -hmm. That's right. And when I said that, you started freaking out and you started jumping up and down and started <laughs> kissing me. And uh, you said, why? And I explained that if I had my own island, I could be by myself because I really like to be by myself a lot. <laughs> yep. um, or I could just have the people I love, people I'm close to, to come hang out with me and party with me. And then when we're done, they can go away. But it's more about the freedom, the independence. Mm -hmm. Um and a solitude in nature and being in nature. So, and I said, that's what I said. <laughs> and Anthony, if you get this second question, if your answer is the same as mine, you are my soulmate. <laughs> and you said, no pressure there. <laughs> And then you said, let's walk. Let's walk. Right. And so we got up and we were just walking arm in arm and it was Christmas time and it was cold and I was wearing your leather jacket. You gave me your leather bomber jacket and I was wearing your big old jacket. And then you said, ask me the second question. And so I said, the second question was, if you could be any animal, what animal would you choose and why? And you said. I said, hmm, walk a whale. Uh, 
And when I said Orca Whale, she started jumping up and down and screaming and kissing my face. And everybody in the mall thought I was proposing to her. So they started clapping for us. And, and at that point, for me, that was the sign that I needed that, yeah, we're supposed to be together. Yes. To this day, I believe that that was your father intervening. It was spirit. Yeah, it was your father. That, 100%. The guy on the plane was an angel that was there. To guide me. To guide you. Yeah, yeah. to guide us. I... Love that. And I did not know that you felt this way about Orca Whales. And you didn't know this, that I felt that way. We had never discussed it. Yeah, very true. So we actually did end up taking it as a sign. And you finished the academy and mm-hmm. you got stationed out in the desert mm-hmm. and you asked me to come with you. Right. And did, you, let me ask you a question. I've never asked you this question before. Uh-oh. Did you ask me to come with you because of that story? No, no. No, that just helped me to get past some of my traumas. Because mm-hmm. that when you have that trauma, that voice is always in the back of your head, mm-hmm. that fear, mm-hmm. that amygdala, like, uh-oh, don't do it again. Uh-oh, this could go bad. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Yeah. So there was so much love that my love, once your love overpowers that fear, mm-hmm. that's when you move towards love. Yeah. And so that helped me to get over, get over the hump. Mm, And that made it more love for me. Like, yes, I'm more confident. This is a sign and I'm a very connected spiritually. So when I hear something, when I feel signs, I could tell that it's a sign. Yeah. So fast forward now, we fall in love. Yes. And we have this amazing relationship and people around us are going, how are you guys doing this? How are you guys Mm -hmm. doing this? So then we started helping couples. Yeah. And it just kept expanding and expanding and expanding. And that led into a 22 year coaching career. Yeah. That's how we got into coaching. We didn't plan, even though as a kid, I wanted to do it. But then throughout the most of my life, I kind of forgot about that. And when I met you, we came back full circle. And then we learned how to build a great relationship mm-hmm. by using our own relationship as a test tube. Yeah. It's like a guinea pig. Yep. And our perspective was, we don't just want a partner. We want a soulmate. Mm-hmm. We don't just want a relationship. We want bliss. Mm-hmm. And either we can have that. If we don't have that, we'd rather remain single and by ourselves. So we made a commitment to go for bliss. In yeah. our first relationships, we just went for relationships, mm-hmm. our marriage. We didn't consciously create it. And we did everything the traditional way. Right. And with our relationship, we, we realized that we couldn't do it the traditional way and build a relationship that gets better and better over time and that'll keep us in love mm-hmm. for the rest of our lives. So we have to create our own roadmap. We spent years through trial and error, through research, through thinking out the box. We created that roadmap. Right. And once we created it, we started sharing it. And that turned into an extremely successful international life coaching practice. Well, I'll add to that. You know, in coaching, we always say your success is in your mess, right? Mm -hmm. I really believe both of us going through traumatic divorces in our 20s to other from other people. We used that to build our next relationship. We talked about what went wrong. We talked about how we felt, what we needed. Those relationships helped us to get clear on who we were and what we wanted and what we needed. And I think going into those relationships, we didn't know what we wanted. We just wanted love, right? We just wanted love. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you just want love, you'll accept a lot of stuff that you maybe wouldn't accept if you had more clarity on who you are as a human being. 
And when you love yourself, I know in my first marriage, I did not love myself. I was just trying to do the benchmark, hit the benchmarks and be a good girl and, you know, be a good member of society. And that just didn't work. So, you know, when you and I got together, we just we kept saying things like we're not going to be traditional. We're going to do things differently. And I think the level of honesty that we have with each other and how we treat each other and we'll call out anything. Not all people were able to do that. And we didn't have role models. We had to create it ourselves from nothing. I agree. And we were able to do that. And, you know, and we have built a relationship where we talk about this all the time, where we fall more and more in love over time. Do we have our challenges? Of course, you always have your challenges as a couple. That's part of it. But we always look at it like those challenges are opportunities to grow. And to go there, you have to grow there. And so those passionate debates, (laughs) we use them to help us to grow. I love a passionate debate, honestly. Exactly. But what we wanted to accomplish, what we set out to accomplish, we did that. And even to this day, when I think about the little Anthony growing up in Brooklyn Mm -hmm. with that dream of finding a soulmate and teaching the world how to love, I'm living that. I've been living that for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. So to me, life prepared me. Everything I encountered was preparation to become this. Yes. So I had to go through the divorce. I had to go through losing the children. I had to go through all of that in order to become who I am now. Yeah. Now, so let's end it on this. Mm. What's your greatest hope or goal for the future with coaching? What would you like to accomplish? What's the big picture for you? You know, for me, I want to um, give as many people tools as I can to understand how to live their best life. It comes from within. And I love teaching people how to access that part of themselves. So I just want to continue to do that on a larger and larger scale. I really believe like one of the reasons I love working with couples is I really believe that when we teach couples how to love each other and communicate, then they teach that to their children and their children are our future, their society. And I think that it starts with the core family. So I really want to, I want to create more love in the world. Which goes back to our mission, Mm -hmm. which was love revolution. The love revolution. And our goal has been for years to create a love revolution. 100. You know, there was a time where people married because survival purposes and, you know, benchmarking. But now people, they want what we wanted. Mm -hmm. They want to get married. They don't want a partner. They want a soulmate. They don't Mm -hmm. just want a relationship. They want bliss. Yes. And They've upgraded what they want now, but they don't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. So our love revolution that we've been creating over the years has been about teaching the world a new and better way. Yes. To have what what they want. To Um, love and date. Right. To love and date. And we realized that once 10% of the population is able to get it and do it, that's the tipping point. That 10% Mm -hmm. leads to... The complete revolution, but we got to get to that 10% first. And I believe that this podcast is going to give us the platform to to create the love revolution. And create the love revolution. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. I love you back, baby. Thank you, honey. And so. So until next time, love, love, love. Love, love, love. And if you don't go within, you will go without. without.